Hello, everybody. Welcome to Drop the Needle in the Haystack, episode 11. That's right, folks. We made it. Uh, well, this is a podcast where we use the Forgotify website to listen to tracks on Spotify that have, until this point, not been played. And then we talk about them. And my name's Robbie, and as always, I'm joined by my host, Eric Black and Matthew P. <laughs> you don't know his last name, do you? <laughs> Pellegrino! No, I do! Pellegrino! <laughs> Yeah. It says so right uh, there. You yeah, got it right, right there. It's okay. Yeah, there's it's no, okay, there's no way. Yeah. That would be a true feat of ignorance if he still didn't know my last name. Matthew like Pelliger. It's yeah. like when I teach my students and like I was I was doing a leave replacement and I totally blanked on this kid's name who I've been teaching for like weeks. But I missed the first day of class when they did all like their introduction spiels. So I get mm. to this kid and I'm just like and uh uh, who who thinks they know the answer to this? Uh, and he raises his hand like, you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent job. Good. He totally he totally knew. And I even remember like the the kid. I remember his face of just like you don't remember my name. Nah. Nope. Never learned it. There's too many kids. Is the problem. <laughs> uh, it was a class size of like seventeen. That was kind of my B. Well, it's like, you know, it's like being in an orchestra with a conductor you've worked with for a long time. And they look back at you and they go, clarinet, how about we start at? In a time when I had to be in an orchestra that I don't want to name exactly right now, there was another Asian member of the orchestra. Oh. I know, surprising, right? That's, that's usually not the case, but there was a handful of other Asians in the orchestra that's and... not what I was saying. I was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, uh, and there was a guy who was my friend, so we were frequently seen next to each other. His name is Mike, and I'm Matt. And the director, I've been playing all year for this guy, and he goes, "Mike," except <laughs> <laughs> me. Yep, that's where I thought this was going. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, speaking of wrong names, Eric called me John for like the first week we knew each other. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not the first week, the first semester. And you went with it. I did, All right? Well, Eric, it's he not... He never corrected me. He it's did not... not correct me. Hold on. No, hold okay, on. so... Back up. Back up. <laughs> no, tell the story, Eric, and then I'll... I'll okay, my... I, know, Wait, I, know this, I know what I remember. All A right, whole so... semester front yeah, finish. We were, we were freshmen. At some point... Robbie and I had been introduced to each other, and I'm sure at that time you had introduced yourself as Robbie, but, you know, we didn't oh, hang out yeah. that much. I introduced myself as John just one time <laughs> to fuck with people. I, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm sure it happened, you know, I'm not blaming you here, all right? But anyway, you know, we didn't hang out that much. It's not like we interacted a lot. And one day I was out with another friend. I think we were eating at Skyline. I look across. People don't know what Skyline uh, is, Eric. Yeah, That's all it. right. So Skyline is a Cincinnati chili place. For those who are not familiar, it's like a, it's kind of a fast food with spaghetti. We all uh, have time to get into top, the, to litigate anyway, the chili. Anyway, I see, yeah, I see Robbie across the room and I go, you know what? I remember that guy. He's in my class. He's a music major. I'll say hi on my way out. So as we're leaving, I'm like, hey, John, how you doing? And you're like, and you look at me, you look a little confused and you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm good. Hey, and I was like, I'll, I'll see you later. You know, it was very brief. I don't All even right. know if we said that much. You know, it was just like, hey, John, you know. Yeah, well, what and, are you, so Eric, what are you going to do? Someone call, looks right dead in your eyes, calls you the wrong name, <laughs> says very nicely hello. And like, 
It was confusing. But it doesn't end there, Robbie. It doesn't end there. It's not like the next time I saw you, you were like, hey, by the way, remember that time you called me What am I going to do, Eric? (laughs) Wait, my name's Robbie, actually. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there were plenty of times after that when we were hanging out and you never corrected me. And then one day, we're all sitting, it's you, me, our other friend, we're all sitting in a dorm room, and suddenly I realize, I look right at you and I go, wait a second, your name's not John, it's Robbie. Like three months after the fact. Uh, Three months, Robbie. Well, you know, a lot had happened. And it never (laughs) came up to reintroduce ourselves. You didn't say. But what if I hadn't? What if I hadn't remembered? I'm sure it would have still come be John. It would have been. It would have been your life forever. Uh, just, I, had you never just like heard someone else address him like, "Hey, Robbie." Nope. Nope. Who knows? Who knows? It just came remember? back to me one day. I was like, "Wait a second. And Robbie, it just never came up organically, so you never felt the need to correct this well, this horrible wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, because it's <laughs> like. I, you turn it over a few ways in your head. If someone calls you the wrong name and you don't right away realize what's happening, so it kind of goes by, what is the appropriate way to get into that conversation? Like, hey, we've talked before. I know your name and you've greeted me, but you did it bad. You did it wrong. Because it's not John, it's Robbie. And and after a week, it's it's like, nope, just gotta, I'm John now. I probably yeah. would have just been John forever. <laughs> after three months... He was definitely John. Isn't that literally what happens to Jerry in Parks and Rec? I think yep. so. Yep. Someone just calls him the wrong name. And, oh, and he goes with it. Years. Yep. Yep. Wow. You could have been John, Robbie. Ah, oh, if only. But wow, that was a nice a nice personal tangent to start the episode with. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotta loosen up first. <laughs> so why don't we get right into the music? Uh, yeah, this, is that me this first? This is your selection, Eric, right? Okay, yeah. So last week, um, for those of you who heard the show, Matthew had a special surprise for me. You know, he had been given uh, an incredible gift from the Forgotify Gods. He had been sent Acker Belka, a famous jazz clarinetist from the UK. And today, the Forgotify Gods decided to bless me almost immediately with an oboe concerto. Today, we are, are looking at oboist... Burkhard Gleitzner, Gleitzner perform Oboe Concerto Number no. One in F Major by Giuseppe Ferlandes. Yeah, and that's the composer. So why don't we uh, go to that little part that we picked out? It's right at the introduction of the oboe solo, and we'll give it a quick listen. All right, so Burkhard Gleitzner was born in 1943. He is a German oboe virtuoso and conductor. He's currently considered one of the leading oboe players in Germany. Frank Schneider counts him among the leading oboe virtuosos in the world. And most importantly, as an oboist of his country, he encouraged the development of an oboe repertoire in the GDR and Eastern Europe. He has performed more than 100 works 
including oboe concertos by Reiner Breidmeier, George Kotzer, Frederick Schenker, Chris Fied Schmidt, and a whole host of other composers, including Takamitsu, Matthew. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so he's got Schenker and Takamitsu on there. Needless to say, he's performed a lot of new works. Uh, as we saw on his uh, Spotify discography, he has a tremendous amount of recorded albums. But anyway, Matthew, what are your initial impressions of um, this piece, which I think none of us know, and of his playing? Yeah, I mean, you know, even I don't know this one. And it's definitely not a household name, right? Giuseppe Ferlandis. Um it was interesting to me that it was paired with the Mozart Concerto on the same album. So the Mozart Oboe Concerto is probably the most famous Oboe Concerto. We don't have many that are still uh, widely performed or very popular. Um, so it's it's cool to hear one that I, I haven't heard before. And did you say this was like, what, 88, 89? Uh, I think it was 89. The album's 89. Yeah. So a lot of this uh, makes sense to me pretty immediately. German oboists, so uh, oboists, I think kind of like what Eric mentioned in the clarinet discussion, uh, can separate sound quality and sound type by American playing and European playing. And the German style of playing also has some, you know, features that are very unique to it, but his sound definitely is immediately recognizable as a European sound. So generally a bit more uh, wide and... Uh, spread tone quality they're playing on a thinner reed over there with a vastly different scrape than the american scrape which uh, tends to be a lot more involved and really going for a darker kind of tone we had ourselves an american scrape these past four years that we're getting out of Da -dun <laughs> Tiny anyway. political humor <laughs> uh, anyway continue uh, i've set my Matt, face uh, sorry i just want to interrupt real quick what is so? I've always wondered this personally. European scrape, American scrape. What are we talking about there? Are we talking thickness of tip? Are we talking overall shape of the reed? What is? Are we talking length? What are what are these components that we're kind of talking about when we get into reed design uh, in the oboe world? Which I'm sure yeah. all of our viewers and listeners really care about. Yeah, basically, um, it can be. So the the oboe reed is the unique component of the instrument that makes it so incredibly difficult um, as opposed to the host of other reed instruments which use one one reed secured to a mouthpiece the oboe is a freestanding double reed the scrape is designed to make certain parts of the reed itself more and less resistant at some points you want it to be paper thin which requires a really uh, agonizingly sharp knife and at some points you basically want untouched bark so that it essentially uh, controls how the vibrations travel through the reed and into the instrument. So the American scrape, my teacher told me, the American scrape is a, it's a very vast departure from the European scrape. He would, my teacher, Mark Dubois, he was at Fredonia, and he was a student of John DeLancey uh, out of Chicago. Sure. So, and also John Mack, he was a Mack student. So uh, the American scrape is kind of like a river where you are directing the current. And the American scrape involves kind of placing pebbles and rocks to shape the current the way that you want so that there's certain areas of resistance. And uh, the, the tip of the American reed is extremely paper thin. Whereas the European reed, which of course the Europeans precede us in musical style and technology, 
the European scrape is much more straightforward. It's basically a straight bevel down to the tip of the reed, which results in the kind of uh, more nasally tone production. Uh, I think is that's I see. The, the more strident tone production that you hear in European orchestras. You can kind of hear it in early Philadelphia orchestra when it was still sure. very much um, the American scrape was being developed. And uh, I think Philadelphia... Pre-Tabuto or, or yeah. after Tabuto? Okay, pre-Tabuto. Uh, Tab Tabuto was the big kind of guy for the American scrape. I hope I'm not embarrassing myself, but I'm pretty sure, you know, Tabuto really, he kind of helped shape and guide the American school of oboe playing. But yeah, if you listen to old Philadelphia orchestra recordings, then um, that's that's the European sound still kind of lingering in in the, the tone production. But um, I think that this concerto itself, you know, kind of talking more about the music, it's extremely, you know, that European high classical period, right? Sure. Like, yeah. The style markers are all there. You can immediately place it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the kind of orchestral uh, Alberti accompaniment with the very light string textures and even some of those flourishes that he got into towards the end of that section reminded me of, of stuff from clarinet concertos like Weber, right? Right, Eric? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of, especially the articulation and scalar pass passages, you know, the slur two, tongue two kind of articulation pattern, basically passages that are just designed to be virtuosic without being weird, you know? This is very scalar in nature or arpeggiated. Yeah, and um, Robbie, you know, we want to get you in this conversation too. You said that you could almost immediately recall your day's uh, joyful woodwind accompaniment. I'm sure not a not a rough time at all to be held in that, right? Oh, not at all. Hey, What's that, Eric? Don't bring woodwinds into this. He said viola accompaniment. Well, oh, he? All right? I, I say viola because... Uh, I guess I just had the chance to play a lot of these classical era concerto or accompany the uh, people playing these classical era ch um, kind of concertos, especially violists. And it's like, I don't know, I heard the introduction to this, the very beginning, which is just, just the orchestra. And I was like, oh, man, takes, takes me back, right? I can almost find like, okay, two notes in the left hand, two notes in the right hand. It's kind of like a, almost like a hymn voicing starting off. And then you get these scales and stuff really regular phrases regular phrasing I, I i'm a big i really like to listen to the rhythm the rhythmic phrasing of things and especially for classical music i i enjoy because it's very well especially maybe a composer like Ferlandes, who is not quite as well known as someone like mozart who tended to be a little more in will have a little more ingenuity sometimes with his phrasing it's very classical music of other kinds tends to be very regular in terms of the phrases there and that's not a bad thing that's interesting that's an interesting point yeah. though like we don't really think of that too often that you know mozart defines the genre but mozart really kicked the genre a lot he he bucks convention a lot in his writing and that's why we hail him <laughs> as like you know the genius of the classical period right right yeah or, and it's like yeah. it, i think i'm having it's like several false starts to this sentence because I'm formulating exactly the edge I want to get across. And it's not like I want to trash for Landis or all the classical composers. But I think sort of if you listen to a lot of this music, a lot of this music's era, and then listen to a lot of Mozart, you can kind of almost immediately tell, oh, this is the guy, right? This Mozart, it's not just 
<laughs> yeah, hot take. You guys heard about this Mozart fella? He's pretty good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, refrigerated uh, takes aside, I, I think it, it's not just bluster. It's not just history. I, I, I do think it's like you can listen to you his do. contemporaries yeah. and listen to him and you can say there is something different about him, right? Yeah, that's so you do true. notice the difference. I mean, I like to say that classical music is it's almost the music of like the aesthetic of perfection. Everything mm. is so trimmed and neat and like right. tidy and orderly. It's so it's actually so scientific in my opinion because the, the grammar and the rhetoric it's all so balanced. The sentences basically complete their se themselves. But of course, if we're going to say that Mozart was ingenuity to break the mold, there has to be the mold, right? That's well, like yeah, for that's me a comparing point. a Haydn symphony yeah. to to Mozart symphonies. It's that the Haydn symphonies. I really want to tune out by the time we get into like the the recapitulation but with like Mozart I can at least hang on and be engaged for probably the entire first movement you know It always seems to me like it's 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 one thing one thing in the phrase is kind of shifted over or changed or displaced and it's like oh that's so much better right I don't know I'm having I'm reaching for examples and I'm not finding any but it's like you uh, you listen to this first phrase, da, 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 and it's not like there's anything wrong with it, but it's like you said, Matt, it's kind of like you can auto-complete it almost in your brain, whereas in a lot of the the famous melodies or, or passages of Mozart, they're very similar aesthetically in, in terms of they've got scalar stuff, they've got arpeggios, and they, it's not like from a different world, but it's like there's always one or two things in the phrase that are sort of twisted that just gives it that extra bit of life. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt, you brought up earlier, you were talking about kind of the idea of like mathematical, almost perfectionism. Like the classical music is this kind of world of perfectionism. And talking about the performer for a moment, he is very, very good. You know, like when he may not have the kind of sound that we're used to for the American oboe and that kind of stuff. Uh, and there may be differences there. But in terms of intonation, in terms of articulation clarity in terms of just how he shapes a musical line i mean it's brilliant it's brilliant work like i don't think people understand how difficult it can be to just play one singular note in tune or one singular note in a way that makes it perfectly um fit into a phrase or into the idea you're trying to get across but this guy's doing all of them in tune you know he's getting them all just right, you know, for the style, for the period, for um, the violins, as he's matching, you know, uh, oftentimes in this music, they are basically playing together. You know, it's almost a duet between violins and oboe, and he's just matching their sound perfectly. And he's allowing himself to be enfolded in it while still projecting and being his own instrument. Big props to the performer for this performance. Oh, yeah, like technically masterful and, and like, yeah, it's a spotless performance, hands down. He, he definitely, the style is completely uh, kind of like absorbed. He, he's clearly quite well versed in this, in this style of music, right? And also, again, the huge discography. There's a reason why this guy's probably recording like every major and not even major like oboe concerto that you could even probably dig up like you want this guy to be recording your stuff i think right off the bat he was very comparable to heinz hollinger who is probably you know one of the greatest oboists of all time yeah without a doubt he's a virtuoso all right i think uh yeah we've said quite a bit yeah that's Thank quite you for... a lot of oboe content 
Yeah, thank you for educating us on that. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah, you. Yeah. I, I enjoy sometimes talking about the oboe. <laughs> it, it, it drips and drabs occasionally. <laughs> All right, so it's time for something totally different. Robbie, you want to take it away here? Of course. My track today is from the artist Sonic Boom of Love, and I, I think the track or the album on Spotify is also called Sonic Boom of Love, but when I look at or when I search for this music outside of it, it looks like it might have been on a CD called A Love Supreme, by released by the same artist. The Sonic Boom of Love and all these tracks are, are uh, a project by a producer known as Alexander East, who is now based out of Minneapolis. But let's take a listen and then we can talk a little more about it. Sorry, I just have to interject. Isn't A Love Supreme also a John Coltrane album? That's right. Right. Very famous John Coltrane album, A Love Supreme. So it's probably a very, I mean, I can't imagine... It's, it's a reference you make unintentionally. Yeah, okay. Just making sure I'm not losing my mind. Okay, here is my mind made up. It's kind of appropriate that we talk uh, a little bit about uh, Mozart and his comparison to uh, his contemporary composers because it, maybe this is a, sort of a, uh, a reach in terms of comparisons, but we get a lot of like electronic music or electronic dance music on Forgotify, and a, a lot of it is kind of not so engaging. It's a lot of the the same the same kind of drum patterns over and over again, or, or like maybe not so much going on in a mix. And I think this is sort of a good contrast to that because it's it's in the same way taking all the, se the all the usual elements, all the familiar kind of electronica sounds. It's not even very many discrete parts or a very incredibly complicated mix, I don't think. But it's just there's so much more going on in, in terms of the the way it's all put together that I think really sets it apart. The dance music or electronic dance music, it, it you've got to have the beat right. You got to have that four on the floor a lot of the time to get the the pulse you want out of a, a song like this. But I think what he does that is really interesting to me is kind of varies the rhythm with all the other elements or all the other voices of of the the production there. So like you've got the bass itself, which kind of has that envelope filter, whop, 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 which, which already kind of, or to my ears, always displaces the it a little bit sort of the sound you kind of get both ends of the of the big beat there uh, uh emphasized in their own way and then you've got a lot of these syncopations right you've got like the organ which is kind of doing i, I don't know like offbeat 16th i think it was something like that and then you've got this just this synth that's doing i think maybe even only half notes or sometimes eighth like notes a counter melody like yeah kind of descant counter melody right yeah i think it all makes a it fits together well to make an interesting texture for the final part of the voice to kind of slot into, but that's that was sort of what I really liked about it. Yeah, the um, of course the voice is a standout here. You're right, Robbie, that we we get a lot of these electronic dance songs, and while this isn't that much different than a lot of them, the voice just brings it to a whole nother whole nother level. Uh, what was really interesting to me is just how rhythmically precise the vocalist was. 
and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt. I feel like I'm hearing some what three over two. What is that? Or even bigger than that, like six over four. You know four? what it is? I'm he's doing sure. um he's doing the Hollywood triplet. The uh, it, so uh, you were close with three over two, but it's that recurring um that uh that right. And you you were hearing it as a three over two. It's like da 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 da. But it's yeah. I was thinking I was thinking more the the longer phrase, right? Da da da. When right? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, that's tough. Like I, think it, like, I think it was probably just a syncopation, though. Really? Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's really cool. But, And I also liked the short 16th notes interjected and the way they were clipped vocally. Yeah. It was very interesting. There's a lot happening that's very interesting vocally. And, you know, she's staying on pitch. She has a great voice. Um, it's just really, really cool to listen to, really fun to listen to. All right, Matt, what do you think? Wait, I thought this was a male singer. Yeah, I think it. I think. That's, Am I wrong? Yeah, I think you're wrong, Eric. Oh gosh. Perish the thought, Ooh. right? But I think, Ooh. from what I understand, Alexander <laughs> East uh, did this all himself. Oh, uh, I thought it was. Okay. Oh, so we're getting we're getting a high tenor. All right. We're getting a high tenor. Indeed, but no, I I agree. The uh, the voice is the standout element. The intonation, even on some of those, yeah. I was thinking of the sixteenth interjection on the word "ever," which you're right; it's clipped very, uh, like, satisfyingly, very rhythmically. You know, things we don't typically hear from a pop singer. I mean, it's the easiest joke in music to say that singers don't have rhythm, but this is a very <laughs> intentionally rhythmic vocal melody. It, it's, it's part of the texture, as as Robbie said. And, um, like, there was a really tight, like, third harmony on the word "ever," and at times, yeah. you know, it's just single line melody and at times there's harmonies that interject yeah to me i mean this is really cool robbie's robbie's right we get a lot of weird techno and it's i you know fair to say this is techno but it's just orchestrated in such like a nice way i think there's what that like a vibraphony kind of thing oh yeah yeah that boom 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 i i think that is some some i don't know if it's a real vibraphone but if kind not emulating that yeah and that's kind of what started the song and when i heard that in the intro i was like whoa like what do we have here but can you guys place like a comparison of the voice i was kind of thinking like prince you know i think that's a good that's a good comparison yeah prince i clearly can't make any kind of comparison <laughs> yeah because, uh... <laughs> eric must recuse himself yeah I'm, I'm sorry alexander if you ever hear this it's my bad well, and speaking of the the melodic line itself, and about Alexander Easton, sort of what he has been up to. He's a well, like I said, he's a producer who's been going for a while. He's based out of uh, Minneapolis now. He's got a SoundCloud, so look him up on SoundCloud there. Uh, and it says he he started out t teaching himself many different musical instruments and, and kind of dissecting this this melody. It, it sounds to me a lot more like the kind of line you would write for a horn section or for like a sax section or something right it's very like you said it's you don't oftentimes well i don't know if i should say that frequently but it's not as common to have rhythmically complex or really rhythmically involved vocal lines right where kind of the main thrust of it or a big part of it is all these 16th notes and offbeats and, and things like that and i think that might come from maybe a lot of influence playing other uh, uh, you know other instruments i think the most complex uh rhythmic melodic line that i think of in like you know very mainstream pop culture is the kind of 
chorus parts to uh, Boogie Wonderland. You know what I'm talking about, Robbie? I don't know if I do. It's not. I, I've Boogie know the Wonderland song. by Earth, Wind, and Fire. I, well, and, I know the song, but I don't. And then I, there's I, the I'm part ha- in the middle where it's like the ba 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 and it's got that three over two thing that eric was talking about and i think that's probably it's it's a lot like the the horn lines you know earth wind and fire would play so it's kind of like you just do the same sort of writing for the voice almost i don't know that's maybe like funk influence you know getting into um this 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 techno electronica music right right it's almost like the voice is in a different style, actually. Yeah, <laughs> now I, that I think I, about it, I was kind of getting some R and B vibes in terms of because you all in R and B music a lot of times you get these very complex melodies or, or song yeah. lines too, and and the quality of the voice in terms of the timbre also sort of reminded me of that. But it's yeah, kind of slotted right into this techno groove we got. Definitely very original. Nothing like what I've heard before. Hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I think. That's about all I have to say on this one. You guys want to move on to our next selection? Sure. So, yeah, I cannot believe that Forgotify Jesus has gifted me once again. This was, I'm not even kidding. I can't prove this. I'll never have a way to prove it. But this was the first thing I got in my dice roll. You know, uh, the RNG was kind to me. Uh, So this week's selection is called Maternal Affection, and it's by singer Choi Young Il. So this is a Korean singer and it's a type of music called trot music that was very popular around the early kind of 1900s and it was the it's the popular music that now people say of the 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 grandmas and the grandpas and like the uncles in Korea. So I'll just play a little bit of it because it's it's so weird and so unique and I think you guys were really taken aback by the first time you heard it. And then, um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. Yeah. So before I talk about it, can you guys tell me what your initial thoughts were with this? Like what you just tried to make of of this song when you first heard it? Uh, Robbie, do you want to start? Uh, The first thing that came to my mind was like some of the polka music I would hear work in different festivals in in like the Oktoberfest in Cincinnati. A very active rhythm and it's kind of like almost overwhelming in how forward forward moving it is. Yeah. I'm not sure I heard polka, but I did hear uh, some kind of Latin or Hispanic music. If it wasn't for the Korean and Korean vocalists, you know, I could have confused it at times with something from that. But it's it's hard to place, right? It's not it's not exactly one or the other. Yeah, so it's definitely just an initially confusing blend of like I know this is older, folky pop music, but I don't really know what's going on here. So as I said earlier this is trot music this is a prime example of korean trot music so trot music originated in the 1910s and was persistent uh till the 1945 year 1945 but then remained well after and continued to evolve in korea and it's actually still kind of a part of mainstream korean pop culture 
And basically the reason why this sounds so weird and why it's so hard to kind of place like what's going on is because trot is a huge migration of culture through pop music. So the word trot as the genre of the music comes from the uh, style of music known as the foxtrot. Now the foxtrot has a really kind of dark uh, history. It was originally a style of music that was danced most likely on at like special events on plantations. And the foxtrot was a 2-4 dance that had very uh, specific rhythmic identifiers. There were rhythmic motifs that would, rhythmic patterns, that identified it as a foxtrot. So the foxtrot entered jazz, which then made its way over to Europe and did its own weird thing in Europe. And then the French brought their parlor music to Japan during the wars. And then the Japanese brought that parlor music to uh, Korea. So basically you have a black originating American pop music, going to Europe, getting like messed with a little bit there, going to Japan, picking up some scales and some, some modes and some rhythmic patterns, and then going to Korea and picking up other features such as uh, instruments, uh, vocal techniques, and of course, you know, lyrics, the Korean language. So it's basically like a bizarre game of telephone that's gone full circle around to the point where like you can't recognize it anymore. And um, I don't know, I've kind of rambled about that a little bit do you guys have any other like thoughts about this right off the top of your head yeah so we were talking before the show began and what confused me the most was this was such an this is such an old style of music at this point and pop terms but the instruments that he's using here don't really make sense so matt can you take us back and what what kind of instruments were originally used for this style of music because you know in this recording of course we have a lot of MIDI sounds and computer generated beats and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So again, since this came out of like American jazz, it got adjusted into the, like, I think they call it the broadcast band orchestra that like, you know, the radio orchestra that had saxophones and like some, maybe a light string section and like a guitar, a drum kit. And when this ensemble wasn't available and it needed to be pared down, you could basically do this with like an accordion and a guitar because the guitar can get the chop rhythm that really clearly outlines the two four uh, beat and the accordion can fill in like the harmonies and then the singer just gets to play over that. And in Korea, it gets infused even more. It Same thing happened in Japan where traditional instruments sometimes make it in for melody fills. And that's what, that's what the synthesizer was really doing in this recording. It was replacing those, those melody instruments. Yeah, that makes sense. And I could also picture like the accordion doing some of those little fillers. Oh yeah, in a, for sure. In a two, two man group. Robbie, what do you think? It, it's interesting. I think there's something about this style of music. I, I guess that that you say, you know, Eric and I kind of had different things that we thought it sounded like, but there there's almost something. Uh, for as strange as it is, as it is in many ways, it's it's kind of universal in that it sounds old-fashioned. You know, it, like the the polka music I was sort of thinking of, the you know traditional Latin rhythms that Eric was talking about, and, and then the the track itself. It's all kind of I don't know. I don't know what it is about it exactly. Maybe it's just these associations we have in our head, but something about it strikes us all as like this is music for our grandparents to listen to. Yeah, this is the old people music of Korea. Um, the two times I remember hearing it in Korea was in the kind of 
Chinese tourist shopping district, there was like an old guy behind a booth just selling cassette tapes of all this kind of music. Nice. Cassette tapes, really? Cassette tapes, yeah. Wow. And okay. in the summertime, there was like a little fried foods and like games for kids in the parking lot outside of like the apartment buildings. And there was basically like the Korean equivalent of an Elvis impersonator. Like, you know, he was wearing that kind of old get up with like his hair slicked back and sunglasses and he had a boom box of those cassettes that he was just singing the tracks over like and there were just three little old grandmas like in front kind of you know dancing and clapping along with <laughs> the music oh, and like nice. cheering him on yeah. and nice. it gets it's definitely the the old people music but it's still kind of done like um young singers will do it too on like variety shows and there's even like you know, trot singers in their twenties that still do this. So keeping it's, it's, it alive, it's, yeah. It's a hundred years old. It's still going. What That's a good track I, record. Yes. Yeah. I guess the last thing I want to mention is just like it's such a it's so interesting to me because like of the Korean cultural markers that make their way into the music, like that really profound and like wide vibrato and and like the the lyric kind of subject matter. I don't it's just such a weird blend of like how did musically happen I, I mean I didn't say it so eloquently earlier but it's 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 just such a mashup of cultures that it's it's just so uniquely weird and I'm so glad I got to talk about it and you know thank you for Godify Jesus <laughs> it was fate truly yeah. yeah and I guess I guess I shouldn't say it's crazy that it's still being kept alive because you know you look at American culture and pop music from the 1910s and 20s and um, you know, dance hall music and big band music and um, even pre-big band music. And you have people like Michael Buble and, um, <laughs> you know, and like, who is he catering to, right? It's not our generation, True. right? Yeah, you know, so it's a uh, similar It's deal. kept alive even with us. Like, we want to put on the Michael Buble around Christmas time, you know, defrost him, get him out of his hibernation. <laughs> Because for us, like, you know, we heard our grandparents listening to it. So now it has that nostalgia to it, right? That's true. That's Man, funny. That's a, great. that's a good point. Yeah. Music's great. Isn't it great? Love music, guys. Yeah. I love the meme of Michael Buble and Mariah Carey, like, coming out of a winter cave to, like, rake in their, their annual revenue. <laughs> Very true. Uh, we should all be so lucky, man. To just write yeah. one song and... Just to, make it for the rest of your life. Or even just have one season that's like, here I go. <laughs> Gonna make that stack, that holiday right, and stack. Then I, I'm reverse hibernating. I'm awake during the winter and I sleep the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, okay, just to like joke more about Michael Bublé, you know, like he's the most milk toast jazz <laughs> singer. <laughs> and I just remember like in high school, I had this... Uh, I don't know, kind of like 40-ish year old English teacher who had like four kids. She was just like, oh, I just love Michael Buble. He's so talented. And to me, that's like, when I picture people who really like Michael Buble, it's like that English teacher and just people who look like her. <laughs> you know, he, he knows his audience. He's he got a good voice, you know, and he he's he's in it to win it. You know what I mean? And he won it, you know? He did. He's well, he, got it. He hands down won it. Does does is there even a rival of Michael Bublé? No. There is. No, I think he he's the guy. I think him yeah. and Josh Groban had like a joke battle where they like made fun of each other for like a beef on the internet. 
Sure. Because Josh Groban gets the uh, Oh Holy Night revenue. Right. Uh, right, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is Josh Groban up to? Do you Probably think? not much. Yeah. He doesn't have to be do anything anymore. What do you think he's doing right now? <laughs> getting ready. He's getting, getting ready. Yeah. He is getting ready to do his, his COVID at home performance That's of true. Oh Holy Night. Oh, fuck. You're so right. Shit. You know what else? This reminds me. You know what's coming up, you guys? Is a bunch of coronavirus holiday songs with holiday lyrics that oh, are about yeah. the coronavirus. COVID Christmas cards. Right. COVID. Do you oh. think we're going to get COVID wrapping paper? COVID uh, Happy New Year stuff? Right. Should we be Should we be writing this down? Should this be our side hustle? Yeah. No one. No one take this. This is yeah, our I can, idea. I can see it now. the 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 New Year's glasses are going to be twenty twenty, but the circles for the zeros are going to have the little virus oh, things the, coming up. Yeah, the proteins oh, or the yeah, spikes. The, the spike. Yeah. yeah. I just keep like picturing the Coca Cola Santa Claus, but with a mask on. You know, <laughs> I feel like we're going to see that. Yeah. Companies What's will gonna... cash in hard, that's for sure. I wonder how they're going to do like a COVID ball drop. Do you think they're still going to do it? Do you think they're still going to do Times Square? No. There's no way. He, no... he won't let it. He won't let them. No. Nah. Neither of them. De Blasio won't let them. And um, But like, what are they going to do at Times Square governor. instead? You know, like, are they going to do the show and just like no audience allowed? Oh, I hope so. Can you imagine? Probably. Probably. Yeah. And then the ball will be dropped with another COVID protein. You know, another. <laughs> They're gonna <put laughs> everything. The yeah, everything is just gonna be decorated like that. Listen, guys, there's not a lot to work with here. We're trying. It's gonna be COVID ornaments. You know, on I the mean, tree. we already passed COVID Halloween, and I think I made a joke to you, Eric, that like if you go as coronavirus, you're going straight to hell. Like, if right? You, if you were coronavirus for Halloween, you're going straight to hell. Hot take, I just, you know, I sent you the picture, Eric, of the the doctor outfit in the Halloween store. And I'm like, I don't think this is a good Halloween costume this year. No, it, it's not. You don't want to be a doctor. You don't want to be a nurse. You don't want to be a cop for Halloween. And they were also charging, like, what, eight bucks for a mask? Yeah, you saw that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was a normal medical mask that you right. can get for, you know, 99, well, not even that, like, a quarter anywhere now for eight bucks. And then we're funny. probably going to get the COVID Valentine's Day cards because they didn't have enough time to prepare this year. Ugh. You know, it's so dark, though. Like, when you think about all this, like, stuff that they're going to be selling that is directly profiting off the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. Well, that's what I told you, you was going to happen with the, you know, the intense capitalization of masks. Because we were talking about the mask industry in Korea, which is um, East Asian countries have their mask industry because of pollution right right where you've got right. brands and like bands and styles and kids masks and the u.s is already picking up on that like you know you've got the unique low airism mask that's right i've seen that that is a very breathable fabric so i'm not sure uh that's what i was thinking too yeah i'm not sure about that one yeah. but unique low if you want to sponsor us uh feel free to send us some of those masks so we can try them out right yeah, yeah. we're open to being convinced <laughs> All right, guys. You guys want to talk about what we listened to this week? Yes. You know what? I'll go first. I'll break the mold. Whoa. Wow. I know. Crazy, crazy. So this week, I listened to the Tesla Quartet and Alexander Fitterstein, shout out there to Peabody, uh, perform Mozart Clarinet Quintet and also an arrangement of 
uh, Finzi's Five Bagatelles for Clarinet Quintet, which is an unusual arrangement. Pretty cool. One Bagatelle for each clarinet. Yep. That's how it works. That's the rule. Yep. All right, Robbie, what'd you listen to? So this week, I listened to the album Return of the 5,000 Pound Man by Rasan Roland Kirk. What, a, what an album title. Uh, what a title. He, well, for those of you who might not be familiar, Rasan Roland Kirk was a jazz multi-instrumentalist. And as that album title might clue you in on, he was kind of an eccentric. He had a very distinct style and he was also known for, you know, not only playing lots of instruments, including saxophone, flute, and clarinet, but inventing his own instruments. There's interesting pictures of him you can find where he has, I think it's called a... Uh, Oh, what is this? A manzello is what he called it, which is like okay. a saxophone that's connected with uh, something that looks like a soprano saxophone, but it's got a, a bell that's turned weird. And it, it had all these crazy kinds of sounds he would experiment with. But yeah, in this particular album, he gets uh, pretty diverse in, in his release. But this one, it, I think, is a good example of his playing. You get to hear some interesting arrangements, particularly... One of Sweet Georgia Brown, I think, is really, really fun, really neat. So, turn of the 5,000-pound man. Give it a listen. Yeah, as for me, I was going back to a, an old favorite that I discovered, like, years ago and just come back to every now and then. It's called Ghibli Jazz. So, are you two familiar with the Studio Ghibli movies? Oh, of course. Yes. If you just type in Ghibli, like G-H-I-B-L-I, jazz... Uh, there's two albums of just like the most notable songs from like most of the titles, even like the the lesser known ones, and a like so Ghibli Jazz is an album I think of like a combo I want to say piano, bass, singers, drums, okay. and occasionally some other stuff, and they just cover all of the like most famous like Miyazaki movie songs. It's really cool. That sounds cool. Yeah, I love those compositions. I'll check that out. Yeah, highly recommend. Is it on Spotify? Yeah, Ghibli Jazz. There it is. All right. Well, Robbie, you want to do our outro? Of course, Eric. So thank you for listening. Tune in next week at Wednesday for another episode. And be sure to like and, and subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you happen to be listening. Follow us also at Drop Haystack on Twitter and Drop the Needle in the Haystack on Facebook and Instagram. Um... Yeah, I think that about does it. We should have, I don't know, well, maybe I shouldn't say this, but we may have a very special guest sometime soon, so stay tuned. As always, folks, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>